Hey guys, you're listening to the second episode of Elevated DIY with Brian Barney. So I just wanted to thank you guys for tuning in to the first episode. It's always your biggest fear is that you'll get doing one of these things and you're talking to six guys in their basement or something. But no, I, I had a... Because there was a lot of guys that gave me positive comments on social media and left some comments on, on iTunes there and, and uh, got quite a few downloads. And so, gosh, I'm really happy with it. I just got to keep working to get you guys good information and keep doing these things. I want to do at least one a week out to you. So um, I'm just getting on here. I was going to do an episode with Lane Walter, my cameraman there in that backcountry hunt of Wyoming. And we just ran out of time. We were we were hunting so hard and and uh, trying to get good footage and and uh, so worn out when we get to our tents. Uh, all we had time to do was to fall asleep. But I am gonna do one with Lane. We just got to get our schedules where they work out. And and Lane's a great guy. He's super knowledgeable in the in the video aspect of things. And and he's a good bow hunter too. And then you know he's really good with his photography and his harvest shots and and his support photos and that. And so I think he'd be great to. Have have on and we could learn from you know some of his tips for for getting better at, at those kind of things so um yeah i'm just going to do this episode i want to talk a little bit um i want to talk about elk hunting because you know right now we're just coming into the to the heart of the rut and and uh, most guys that are listening to this are probably heading to the elk woods at at least out west here and so um I want to get you guys some information on on both calling and and spot and stalking as and as well as as locating bulls and how to cover country and hopefully get you guys some good information that you can listen to you know on your way to the elk woods and and maybe pick up some tips that'll help you kill that that nice six point you know as for me I won't be hunting elk um, till October this year. I'm just getting ready to take off. I'm going to do this Alaska trip. Uh, going to do a float down oh, a tributary of the Yukon, and I'm going to hunt uh, moose and caribou. So I'm just so jacked. This is like a, a once in a lifetime for me. I've always wanted to hunt moose with my bow. And so um, all the logistics are coming together, and, and we've got everything planned, and I fly out next Tuesday. So I am just super jacked. It doesn't get any better than that, hunting the wilds of Alaska. Um, so I, I just can't wait. So it's going to be October for me hunting elk, but I thought I'd get you guys these tips and tactics now. Um, so you guys had this to go into the elk woods with. And then and then I just wanted to go over my Wyoming hunt there for mule deer. Gosh, you, if you guys know me, you know I love to hunt mule deer, and I was super jacked for this hunt. I just love getting to the mule deer woods and chasing mule deer, and and this year Eastman's gave me the opportunity to film it and uh, and sent me a cameraman and and got me set up so we could capture the whole adventure on film, and so. Um, as I told you in the first episode of this podcast, I scouted really hard down there and and had found some great bucks. Um, man, I was just really looking forward to it. I had his basin located with just a bunch of shooter bucks in it, and and uh, you know the only thing I was concerned about or worried about was the pressure and. And uh, uh, so I got in there and I, I got to the trailhead and there was a handful of trucks in there, not too bad. And gosh, I mean, I've seen 50 or 100 trucks in a parking lot before and usually there's just enough country or you hike enough miles to get away from them. But I did run into some pressure on this Wyoming hunt. I was quite a few miles back, 8, 10 miles back. Um, the word is from the locals is that there was a big fire over in the wilderness that the residents can hunt. And I guess that fire pushed a lot of guys into this mountain range I had scouted and I was hunting. And so I got back into this basin I had scouted and, and uh, 
boy, I started picking out people, and, I, you know, I should have known better. I guess there was a trail heading towards this place, but I just couldn't stay away. There were so many good bucks in this drainage, and so I had to go there and go check it out, and, and I did have a plan to get away from the pressure. You know, I could go either north or south on that ridge line, cover a few more miles, get away from water, and, and there was bucks that I had located in there, but, but the huge next-level bucks that were 200 and bigger and 30 inches wide, um, they were hanging in this drainage here. And so I, I headed to it, and me and Lane got there. We didn't get started till opening day. Um, you know, just I got with work schedule and what Lane had going on, and we just couldn't meet until the day of opener, which usually I like to be in there a couple days before. But it's just the way it went here, and we had – eight days after that to go hunt mule deer and so we had enough time and and uh so we got in there and and start glassing in that that drainage that i had scouted that looked so good and we instantly started picking up bucks but we also instantly started picking up people so there was quite a bit of pressure in there and gosh i'm just i'm not used to that high country mule deer hunting but you just gotta roll with the punches you don't let it bother you and, and you know you gotta just play your hunt and do what you got to do and so we made those plans that we you know we were going to travel on the ridge line and so we stayed the first night in there because it was a big push into camp with our weight and everything and um, so we stayed in there and decided we were going to hunt around there for at least a day or two and see what we could find and and we located bucks in there and and uh, I watched a couple guys they shot a buck down below me a really nice typical down there um, one of the guys had a crossbow. I'm not sure if they got it with a crossbow or a bow. They made a good stock on it. And I was up above, but gosh, then they started hooping and hollering and, and, uh, they had to chase 25 bucks out of that drainage and including the buck, you know, we were after stalking that day. And, and uh, you know, it just is what it is. So you got to roll with the punches and make your plan to get out of there and roll to less pressure. And I, I always enjoy hunting that country. I mean, everywhere you look is like a painting and it is high country hunting and you know I chose to hunt in that drainage where I knew there was people for a couple days just for the fact there was a couple giant bucks that were living in there and and now I'm just getting word today that that one of the giant bucks that was seen in there was a buck with stickers on either side that was over 30 wide it was a really good buck and and uh, there was a guy that harvested him in there too but uh I did get a buck. I was fortunate enough to get a buck, and and I had a good hunt in there. I we spotted this deer, and he was um, by himself, and he was a really nice, heavy, good-looking, typical a buck I'd be happy with. And I told Lane, I said, I I think we can kill this buck. Let's make a play on him. And so um, we were kind of by ourselves, and the buck was by himself. And so gosh, we made a play down on him, and had him in a in a good little green meadow. He'd come out feeding like early afternoon, and. And, uh, and so we snuck down and if I came right over the top on him, it, it was almost going to be like I was riding him. It was going to be way too close. It was going to be like 15 yards where you can't make a move and get busted. And so I chose to kind of come around this, this group of timber and kind of come around, you know, in that way, it, it, we'd be a little bit further and, uh, and he couldn't see us coming. And so we made her play around, had had good winds, you know, the, the winds in this back basin too was another reason I wanted to hunt there. I always hate hunting the, the lee side uh, of a windy ridge or, you know, like the back side uh, of a ridge, like where the wind blows on the face. I call it the lee wind side. And, and because the, the wind just gets over there and swirls and also the wind seems to fight the uh, the, the thermals where, you know, it, it'll just swirl and you just get winded and it. It's tough to beat those mule deer on a lee windy side. And so 
on this side, they were on the dominant wind side. And so the wind blew right from the bottom to the top. And so the wind actually worked with the thermals. And so it was a super steady, constant wind all the time. And so you knew you had that part of your game figured out. And when you got that, your chances double or almost triple at killing those mule deer. And so that's another reason why we wanted to hunt over there. And so we caught this lone buck and we came around that group of timber and just coming around there and, and catch him over there. And he has no idea we're there. He's just feeding on green grass and putting his head down and feeding. And so we wait there for a couple minutes, had a good range on him and waited for him to, he was kind of facing us and waited for him to kind of turn broadside and, and then put a good shot on him. And he kind of jumped the string a little bit. Um, that arrow, he had no idea we were there. It's amazing. But uh, like one out of every three mule deer will jump your string and that was the case on this one you can watch the video and the the arrows coming in perfect and he kind of jumps a little bit and it it gets him good and it comes out a little bit back but uh the arrow did its job and and we were able to recover that bug it's just awesome in the high country when it when it comes together and you know he he wasn't the the monster 200 incher I had set my sights on, but he was a really good, decent buck, and and I just learned, you know, that everything's got to be right to kill a buck, and and uh, I was really happy with the buck, and and so we worked hard to um, pack him out of there and and get him out, and it was just a super trip. I had a, a great time, and we were able to capture the whole thing on video, which was so cool. So. Um, like I say, Lane's such a good cameraman and such a good working knowledge uh, of how to get support shots and and how to tell the story and and uh, make me do my interviews. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a hunter at heart, so I just get to hunting and I've always got the next goal in mind. And I, you know, I, I learned a lot and I need to get better too. But but Lane was good about keeping me on task and making me do my interviews and and uh, making sure that we told a really good story. So I, I'm super psyched. It's my first buck on film so um you know that's an accomplishment in itself and then uh, a high country buck on film that is just no easy feat so uh yeah i'm super jacked i could come out on top you know i i wish there wouldn't have been as much pressure back there but those guys are just trying to do the same thing i'm doing they're working really hard and trying to get an arrow into a good buck and you can't blame them for that just enjoying the wilderness but uh yeah next time you know if i I, I don't know. I just I just play it different. I like that experience when you can get away from guys. And we ended up away from them. That's why we killed that buck as we were way out on the far end of the basin by ourselves. But yeah, just next time uh, looking for those spots where I can be by myself and play my own game with the bucks. And, and uh, you know, even if the bucks aren't quite the, the size I'm looking for, the experience of being by yourself is, is pretty cool too. But it, it was an awesome trip and I can't wait to share the footage with you guys. And I just... Uh, I sent all my footage into Eastman's there and, and uh, just hoping it makes an episode of Eastman's Hunting TV. So we'll see what the editing gal Lindsay can, can do for me and put it together. But I think it's going to make a great episode. We captured so much great footage and, and the country is so beautiful up there and, and the, the bucks are so cool. You know, uh, a lot of them were hard horned and had moved down and timbered up, which also ups a degree of difficulty. I mean, sometimes in Wyoming, you know, those bucks are, are velvet horned all the way till September 15th. And, and this year, you know, it was September 1st, September 2nd, and three quarters of the bucks are hard horned. And once they lose that velvet, they drop a thousand, fifteen hundred feet and they start hanging, you know, in the, the more timbered, more covered country and they tighten up their programs, which makes them tougher. You know, it, it, it would be awesome if Wyoming could open up a bow season like 
August 25th or August 15th. Those make for the best bow seasons, but it's just year to year of what they're going to do in there. And like I say, I'm just fortunate I had a high country Wyoming deer tag and got to hunt mule deer in the high country and then to get to be successful and put a good arrow in a buck and then to capture the whole thing was awesome. And so, um, yeah, I don't. I was super happy with the way the hunt turned out, and and also get to come home and take a few more days with my family and get my gear ready, getting ready for this huge Alaska trip to make sure I don't forget anything and and got all my ducks in a row. So so it actually worked out pretty good. So um, just a super trip in Wyoming, but you're always learning and you're you're always getting better and and. Uh, so, you know, I did learn a lot on, on this hunt in Wyoming, and I'll continue to get better at hunting mule deer, and, and I just need to go back to the drawing bar, board in, in Wyoming. This was my first year hunting this unit. I had I had always hunted a different unit, and so, you know, I scouted it really hard, and I had a good game plan. The problem with scouting is that you can't tell in scouting how the hunting pressure is going to be, and so you see a couple giant bucks in good population, you think, that's the spot I'm going to go. Well there was a bunch of other guys that had that same thought that I did. And so, um, you know, like I say, it's a live and learn. It's hunting public land and hunting public land. That's one of the challenges we face. And, and uh, you got to adapt, evolve and overcome and, and continue to get better and not let it frustrate you and, and um, you know, keep working at it. That's, that's our only answer. So, um, but anyways, good trip in Wyoming. And, and so what I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about as we're, as we're coming into elk season here is just some good elk season tactics that'll help make you better back there and and hopefully help you get into that good six-point bull or get a good arrow into a six-point bull as um, I love to hunt high country mule deer and I love to hunt everything with my bow and arrow but there is something special about elk I just man the the way the rut is and those things screaming and rutting and bugling and the interaction and then it's you know this 800 pound elk with with tree trunks coming out of his head and he's screaming at you I mean it doesn't get any better than that it is the some of the most thrilling exciting bow hunting there is out there and so every year I really look forward to elk season and come September October there's nothing that I can think about you know other than elk hunting and so um i guess we'll start with um just how to kind of cover country and find good elk country and find elk i mean before you kill a good bull you got to be able to get into bulls and 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 find good country that holds bulls and the unique thing about elk is they're such roamers and travelers that, that they don't just live in one meadow or one basin or one drainage you know they travel throughout a network or a circuit of these meadows and basins and, and places I mean they they travel miles and miles they can have a 15 20 mile circuit at different places they like so a lot of times where you see sign and where you see elk you know they're not there every time you go in there you know there could be zero elk when you go in there or there could be 200 head and it's just a matter of where they are in that circuit or where they are in those network of feeding grounds if they've been spooked out of there or sometimes they just move through to a different place and so you know I think the key with with finding elk is, is covering country I um I like to get you know to good vantage points and in elk 
middle of the day, I mean, other than sitting on a, a waller or sitting, um, you know, on a decent vantage point, trying to catch one, getting up and rebedding or something like that, there there isn't much to do in the middle of the day. And if you're hunting through a lot of country middle of the day, you're probably going to end up spooking those elk rather than getting a chance of, at them. And so where you really got to focus your effort is mornings and evenings. And, and then along with mornings and evenings, some of the the best parts of the rut and some of the some where the bulls rut the hardest and bugle the most is like that hour before daylight and that hour after daylight and so i really focus on these times i mean even if you're taking a a nap in the middle of the day you know just so you can hunt that hour or two before daybreak and the hour you know after it gets dark because these these bulls are just sounding off and going crazy those times and so if you're at the tops of these drainages and kind of moving through camp or moving to your vantage point in the morning you know use this darkness to locate bulls you know use it to listen in the darkness and and if you can hear them then you know elk are there and can move to them and, and especially in the dark you know if you hear a bugle it's a bull you know there's it's not somebody bugling or something like that and so um I really use these times, like I say, in, in the darkness to, to locate bulls to hunt. And so in the morning, I'll plan my hike and I'll start an hour or two before light and I'll start hiking towards my vantage point. And I'm just stopping and listening over these drainages and these spines. And, you know, I'll be on a ridgeline where I'm listening to both sides. And then if I hear a bugle, I've got one located. I know I'm hunting one that morning. And, and, and same thing with the evening, you know, I'll I'll even travel drainages in the dark and I'll just sit above these these drainages and I'll just listen. And if I can hear bulls down there, then I got something located for morning, you know. And if not, then I keep moving to my vantage point and then I'm at a good vantage point, you know, when the lights come on in the morning and, and then I'll I'll look and I'll listen in the morning to try to locate these things. And so my common elk hunt in the morning that's how it starts is a couple hours or hour before daybreak i'll hike and i'll listen and if i don't hear anything then i'm working towards a good vantage point and in elk vantage points you know unless i've just got this super master vantage point where i can just see miles and miles and miles of country most of the time elk vantage points you know there's a lot of elk like cover and they're like moving through cover and and they're in meadows right away in the morning but you just don't see everything from a vantage point and so commonly you know i don't sit on a vantage point very long i'll sit there you know maybe at first light i'll sit there for a half an hour because that's my best vantage point my best play and i'll listen and i'll look and i'll try to glass up some elk but if i don't see anything i i won't sit on a vantage for two three hours i'll i'll keep moving and so i'll sit there for a half an hour and then i'll just take a ridge line or a basin or a drainage and i'll just start hiking and i'll keep keep looking and i call it a mobile vantage point where every little opening or different view of country i'm throwing up my binos and i'm looking around and i'm looking for a couple minutes and then i'll keep moving and if i get to a good spot i might sit there for 10 minutes and look and i I'm always listening to locate elk. You know, they're so vocal that if you can hear a bugle even a long ways off, you know, you can start working towards those those bugles and, and get into elk. And that's another thing is where you see one elk or where you hear one bugle, it's usually not the only elk in there. I mean, sometimes it could be, you know, one bull with his cows or whatever, but for the most part, if you find where the elk are hanging, there's a bunch of elk and a bunch of bulls in there. And so if you start hearing bugles a long ways off, 
I'll start walking towards those bugles and just get closer and and go try to get into the elk and see what's happening in there. And I'm I'm always looking for the party. And by the party, I mean a rut fest with multiple bulls and multiple cows. And when you're into those parties of elk, that's when you kill elk because there's just elk moving everywhere and there's different herd bulls and satellite bulls and you're just into them. So so that's always what I'm looking for when I'm elk hunting. So. I'll start moving these ridge lines and, and looking for elk and you know and if I haven't seen anything by 10 11 o'clock you know I I know that I need to stop rolling country and then I start making my plan for the afternoon evening and and, and I just start looking at my maps again and saying okay well I looked here this morning and I walked this ridge line this morning I didn't hear or see anything and so you know for the evening this is the drainage I want to be at so I'm going to take this middle of the day and I'm going to move over this drainage and I'm not going to walk black timber where I think elk are but I'm going to work my way over to this vantage point end up on this vantage point at five six o'clock and so then that's what I like to do in the afternoon is I like to find myself um you know uh, late afternoon or early evening I'll, I'll find myself a really good vantage point and now I'll sit on this early evening vantage point for a little bit longer and the reason is is because the elk are just coming out and, and you don't know when they're going to come out they may come out two hours before dark or they may come out an hour before dark and so I try to find a good vantage point where I can just sit there for an hour hour and a half you know, and, and let these elk kind of come out and look around and try to catch them. And, and then as it starts getting later and, and uh, you know, if I'm running, um, if I know or I have this gut feeling that, okay, an elk should be out by now and I don't see anything, then I'm going to travel and I'm going to try to pick up a bull bugling somewhere or see him somewhere. And, and that's kind of how I play it. And then I'll after it gets dark, I'll, I'll walk back to camp with a headlamp and I'll be listening the whole way for bulls. And, and a lot of times that's how I find the party is, is in the dark. I'll hear them bugling and then I put myself into them. And so, you know, locating elk is a, is a big part of being into them. And if you're not seeing elk, it's time to move. I mean, it's, um, I never like sitting in a drainage and waiting for them to show up. I, I like to keep traveling country, find where the party is or find a bull that I can hunt. And so, you know, if I haven't seen anything a morning and an evening, um, you know, maybe I'll I'll have a plan to, to go out to look at a different drainage. It's sometimes I'll hike all the way back out and I'll go up a, you know, drive to another trailhead and hike up a separate drainage. And I try never to waste those those mornings and evenings because they're, they're so important when you're hunting. Now, that's when you're going to see them. They're only active in the mornings and evenings. I mean, they may get up and change beds in the middle of the day, but they're not that active in the middle of the day. So mornings and evenings are key. And you need to make sure you're setting your alarm and up early and not just be leaving camp at daybreak. Like I say, be leaving there, there early, an hour or two before light, so you can listen and, and maybe locate something in the dark. Um, and and then, you know, it depends. There's multiple different ways to kill a bull. And, and uh, so so one of the most popular ways is, is by calling them. And calling them is so fun. I mean, it's uh, you're interacting back and forth with the elk and, and uh, calling them in and they come in screaming. And then, you know, you don't got to stock up. You're set up and they, they come in and they're, they're coming to you and they're coming to you into bow range. And so it's such an effective way to kill elk and probably the most effective way you look at all the bulls that are killed every year and and, and I bet you the majority of them or or a, a big majority of them are killed by calling them in and and so um, when you're calling you know I just got a few tips for calling that I try to use and so when I'm calling elk um, 
you know, I, I think the biggest mistake guys make is calling too much. So, you know, I'll do locate calls and I'll either do locate calls by a loud cow call and kind of a whiny hyper lip cow call. It's a, a primos hyper lip is what I like to use. It's really loud and, and it projects over through the, through the base. And, and so I'll use loud cow calls and I'll just make a little uh, three, four or five cow calls and see if I can get an answer in a drainage or, you know, I'll, I'll blow a bugle in there. That's fine too for a locate and and all you're trying to do is to get a bull to answer you. And when you get a bull to answer you, this is when guys make mistakes is they, they hear the bull answer them and then they want to call back to the bull and then they hear the bull call back and then, you know, it's this back and forth in this interaction, which is great. Most of the time, if that bull hears you a ways off, he's going to gather up his cows and go away from you. You know, he doesn't, if he can avoid a fight with you or avoid you stealing his cows, you know, he's going to do it. And the more you call, I think the more you give that bull a chance to recognize that, that you're a human. You know, I think a lot of humans call too much and that's a characteristic of it. You know, that's not a real bull. And so um, I like to use these locates and, and locate these elk. And, and then, you know, then I like to make a play on them. And so after I get a locate, I don't call anymore. What I do is I... I see what the wind's doing and I see how I'm going to make my play. And the best thing you can do is to get in front of that bull, is to kind of look at his position. Is he feeding in the meadow? It, it, you know, where's he, where's he moving to? Can I get in front of him? Is he going to move up here to bed? Or are they going to move over the saddle? Or are they going to feed down in this bottom for a little bit where I can close in and, and, and maybe call him off this meadow? But I, I try to get a game plan and try to get figure out where this bull's headed and try to get in front of him. And that's the best way you can call in a bull is be to where he wants to go to. And, and I like to get into... Um, close range as well before I'll make another call. So the closer you get, you know, the more apt you are for that, that bull to come check you out. And so what I like to do is to sneak inside 200 yards of the, of the group of elk. And, and, and how I do that is as you're moving in, you know, even though you're not locating call and making that bull bugle, most likely that bull is going to continue to bugle and, and rut his cows down there. And so you're keeping track of where those sounds are and moving in. And the most important thing is to know when to slow down. You know, make sure you don't get caught by that herd or that cow in the back. And and then try to try to position yourself and and, and getting close to the herd where you can blow a bugle at them or blow a couple cow calls and have them come check you out. And and another important part of calling elk, I think, is to to have barriers or, or um, landscapes that that uh, that kind of hide you um, or hide that hide your sounds from the elk. And so what I mean by that is is when you make a call, that elk can almost pinpoint where that sound comes from. And what he does is he walks to where he can see that sound. And then when he can't see that sound, you know that that he knows was right there. That's when they get nervous, and that's when they stop coming in or they hold up, you know, outside your effective range or however it goes. And and bulls come in on high alert when they're coming into the sound and they don't know where you are. Where where you can outsmart a bull is like say 
you make some calls on the back side of a ridge. Well, he's going to come to the top of that ridge and try to look down where those calls are. Well, you make those calls on the back side and you sneak to the top of the ridge where you can see the other side where he's approaching. Well, now you've got this barrier in between you where he's coming to look over top of that ridge and you're set up on the ridge. Now you're most likely going to get a shot at him because you've used the landscape, you know, to your benefit to where he can't see where that call's coming from. And, and then he's going to come, you know, Know, to where you have a shot on that ridge line and keep coming and so you know I'd say that's the most important thing or one of the most important things when calling elk is to really think of your setup and if you're making calls you know if that bull comes to where he can see those calls well now he's on high alert and he's looking and he doesn't see a cow and now the whole thing can blow up pretty quick and so use the ridge lines and the the features and then use meadows too you know if you're if you're calling from a um you know, the far side of a meadow or whatever, um, you know, then, then move to the, to the other side of the meadow to where when he comes through that timber, you know, you're closer and he can't, he, he's got to get to the edge of the meadow to be able to see if there's a cow there. And now you're, you're where he wants to come through and where he wants to come by. And he's not looking on high alert for that cow yet. He's waiting till he gets to that meadow to look for that cow and you're set up, you know, past it in the trees. And so, you know, just keep that in mind when you're calling to use these natural barriers, natural ridge lines and bowls and basins and, and try to, you don't have to call a whole bunch, you know, it, you, you make a handful of calls, that bull's either going to come or he isn't, you know, and you can call back and forth and waste all your time, but if he isn't coming right away, then, then you need to position yourself again and keep working the herd and get to a different spot and get closer and give that bull more pressure. And, and, and another thing that works good is a, is a bugle in tight. You know, if you can scoot inside 100 yards of a group of elk and it's a, his group of cows and all of a sudden you scream off a bugle, that bull almost has no option but to come check you out because you're trying to steal his cows. Um, so he'll come right around that herd and come in and then just use those natural barriers to kind of buffer yourself from where that bull can see. And, and, and I think that's, those are some of the biggest tricks I use when, when calling to elk and, and, uh, and then, you know, you can, you can call the elk and, and then another tactic that I like to use is I, I like to spot and stalk elk. I like to not even let them know I'm in the country. So calling bulls is super effective when it works, but you've got to catch those elk in the right mood in the right stage of the rut to be able to call them in. Well, spot and stalking, you don't, you can catch them in any time and, and make a play on them. And so I kind of, you know, lately I've been spotting stock and I mean, also I found that calling is as effective as it is. The older those bulls get, the the seven, eight, nine-year-old bulls, you know, the, the big 350 plus bulls that I'm after, it seems like those are a lot tougher to call in than the satellite bulls or, or the, the younger herd bulls. And so, you know, as I, as I try to focus on these bigger bulls and try to kill these bigger bulls, I just found out that it's a tall order to, to call a herd bull in, a big herd bull in. And, and it isn't impossible. Like I say, you just got to catch him in the right mood, get to the right position and make a few calls and he can come in. But I just found to not even let him know I'm there and then try to work around the herd and try to position myself in a place where I can get a shot has worked really good for me. And so, um, a lot of times I spot and stalk and sometimes this is hard for guys to grasp because the interaction of calling back and forth to elk is so exciting and so fun that now when you put away your calls and you're not interacting back and forth, you know, guys don't feel like they're elk hunting, but 
these elk, they rut just the same whether you're calling or not. And so you still get all these sounds of the elk woods and all this rut action. And, and you get to watch these elk in their in their natural environment and, and, and undisturbed, you know. And so these bulls are going around and satellite bulls and you watch fights go on and chasing cows. And, and to me, it's just as thrilling watching these elk rut and trying to move in on them as it is, you know, calling and interacting with them. And so um, there's a couple different tactics I use when spot and stalking elk and so you know the the morning is a great time to get elk but it seems like you always end up behind them and it's so tough to kill a bull when when you're chasing them or behind them and so um and also the morning thermals, you know, right away in the morning, the thermals are pulling down the draws. And so you've got pretty steady downhill wind. The problem is, is by the time you get to the elk, usually the, the morning sun is down in the valley floor and it's starting to warm these thermals up where they're starting to come uphill, but still kind of coming down. And the winds are just swirling a lot where you don't get a real steady wind to work these elk. And so if I've got a steady win and I've got a decent play on a bull where he's moving, or if I'm in front of him, I'll make a play. But a lot of times I'll just choose to coyote the herd or or keep my eye on the herd. You know, if it's a long ways off on a vantage point, I can I can just keep my eye on him and kind of watch where he goes to bed. Um, a lot of times elk will move over that next ridge or over the ridge line where you can't see, and and so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll coyote the herd, and and when I'm coyoting the herd. I'm staying two to four hundred yards back and I'm I'm kind of moving with the herd and just kind of keeping my eyes on them and I'm not really looking to move in and kill that bull so much as I'm looking to just follow him to his bedroom and I'm looking to follow him where he wants to bed to and so I'll kind of coyote the herd and stay with him and, and I'll watch the interaction of these elk and then you know they'll they'll move for a while they'll move to where they're getting to their bedding timber and then you can kind of read their their mannerisms and you can you can read that you know these these elk are slowing down now and they're starting to kind of graze around and pretty soon you'll see a couple cows bedding down and it's like okay this is where these elk are going to bed for the day and and uh a lot of times I've made the mistake where I where I move in you know too quick or you know I'll just watch them bed down and I think boy that bull's in a good spot and the problem is is the thermals are just still switching around I really do way better if I can just stay on a vantage point, let elk bed down, and I wait till I get, um, you know, the afternoon directionals or midday directionals. And the directional winds are just the the directional winds that blow from, you know, like in, in my home valley here, most of the time they're southwest. You know, if we've got a storm coming in, they, they come in from the north. But these directionals, they're just, um, they're stronger than the thermals. And so they make, they rattle the grass and they kind of hide your noise coming in. And, and then they're super steady. And you can start to read those with the thermals and go, okay, I've got a steady wind. It's covering my sound moving in. And, and, and you know, my scent is going to be going the right way. Now's my time to move in. Now's my time to go all in on these elk. And then a lot of times I'll choose to, to stalk them in their beds like that, where I'll follow them to their beds and I'll wait till middle of the day and, and, and those be- those those elk will also they'll get up through the day and I know I said you know elk aren't active to the middle of the day and, and they're not that active but they do get up and change beds and they do get up and graze around a little bit and that herd bull he will get up and check his cows throughout the day it's just most of the time under the cover you know or under the cover of timber where you can't glass them really but they're getting up kind of moving around and grazing around and, and those are great times to move in on that bull and, and try to harvest them and 
Um, boy, I my buddy Dan was so close on a bull that did this last year, and Dan betted this bull like we talked about, coyoted the herd, and a really nice six point with this great um, four fives on him. You know, his fives were about as long as his fours, and he was like a uh, probably a good solid three thirty bull. I got some great pictures of him, but um, Dan had betted this bull, and then. You know, the bull wasn't in a good spot, and so he backed out, and he came and got me and said, hey, Brian, I got this bull, and he's bedded down in this killer, you know, bedded down, and I know where he's at, you know, and so we went in in the afternoon, and we got above this bull, you know, Dan had spotted him from the opposing hillside and kind of watched him bed and knew where he was. Then we came in on his ridgeline and used the winds, those afternoon directionals, and came in on an, uh, above him, and and uh, got above him, and, and uh, boy, it just worked out perfect. I mean, right as we got above him, those elk got up and started meandering around, and he had a few cows, and then the bull got up and started feeding around, and Dan dropped down in there, and, God, he, he made a perfect stock on him. And, you know, in the in the end, I, I think he ended up um, he ended up missing the bull you know he gosh I mean um, I, I think he punched his shot off or something and and uh, Dan's a great hunter and a great shot on animals you know I it was it was just one of those deals where you know he, he got a split second to make a shot and I think he punched his shot off high and and gave the bull a haircut up there which is which is too bad he was just so bummed it almost ruined his whole season but it can happen to any of us you know it it's tough to execute those shots and especially on a big bull with your heart thumping but but we played the stock perfect you know we had he had bedded that bull we came in from above and then you know that bull got up to kind of graze around and that's when dan made his move which is perfect winds down in there and dan closed into 50 yards or something like that and like i say gave him a haircut down and through there but um uh, but I love to hunt elk in their bed. You just know exactly where they're at. And, and sometimes you can't shoot them in their bed, but you can get close enough to where they get up. You're in striking distance or even in range. And so that's a great way to, to kill a good bull. And, and then, you know, a lot of times if I don't, if it's a huge group of cows or, you know, maybe they bed in a spot where I can't make an approach, you know, then I, then I'd look towards the, the late afternoon or early evening when those elk feed out and see if I can make a play and it's just when you spook an elk they relocate they're gone you know and so you just want to make sure when you're going to make your play on an elk that you have good wins and that you've got a good approach and that you know you're you're not stalking recklessly on these bulls because if you go in stalking recklessly or get caught you're probably not going to get another chance at these elk. They're going to relocate drainages away, and 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 so you want to make sure when you're going all in on these bulls that you got a good play and a good approach. And so same thing in the afternoon, evening, and and elk are tough. You know, you um, a lot of times if you leave them in the evening, you know they should be in there in the morning, but they're not always there in the morning. It's just uh, it's it's elk hunting. They'll they'll relocate or they'll they'll move through to a different. A different feeding spot but i think it's important to not stalk recklessly and not spook these elk um you know so you can get a good play and a good high percentage chance at them to try to kill them but but that's pretty much how i how i tack elk season when i'm hunting and like i say this year i'm going to be hunting elk in october which you know october in montana is not a bad time to hunt them uh, they still rut and they kind of tend to group up a little bit more bigger groups of elk um and then they, you know, they still rut hard, but a lot of the pressure's off. Everybody plans their vacation time for the third week in September, you know, and so by the time October hits, 
God, there isn't much pressure around, and these elk are still rutting. I mean, it, it just depends, you know, where you're going to find them at. A lot of times, um, you know, the feed starts burning off, and they'll drop a little bit lower uh, in country. But like I say, they're in big groups, and so you can find these these big groups of elk and, and uh, get on them that way. And so I'm really looking forward to it. I'm glad I'm not going to miss out on elk season, and, and uh, so I'm going to go do this. Uh, lifetime dream hunt uh, hunting moose and caribou up in alaska it's going to be a great trip uh, like i say a couple buddies and we're floating a tributary of the yukon and and uh, have all our gear there and so i've been practicing my moose calling and and then i also plan on stalking too and and where we're going you know we're dropped off way up like on the brooks range up there and you know i hardly know anything about it other than the research i've done i've never even stepped foot in alaska i've never seen alaska you know all i know is from the people i've talked to and then i've got a buddy that moved up there that has a lot of good contacts and i i talked to the biologists and and i've talked to guys that have hunted up there and and, and so that's pretty much all I know about Alaska is what I've heard from guys, what the biologist has told me, the research my buddies have done. And, and so we kind of just picked this drainage and we picked a drainage that's really tough to get to. Um, we picked a drainage where hopefully we can see those huge Yukon 60 inch moose. You know, I just want a chance at one of those things with my bow would be absolutely unreal. And so we picked this drainage that's really tough to get to. And the reason it's tough to get to, you know, I believe there's only one airport that, that you can jump off to fly to these drainages because it's too far from the other air parks or whatever. So, um, there's only one guy really flying in there and, and he's just going to drop us off. It's, it's self-guided, you know, just me and my buddies in there, but everything we've heard, there's really big ones in here. And so we're dropped off on the, on the, up on the Brooks range and it's, it's fairly open where we're dropped off. In fact, I don't think there's a, a freaking tree around. So, um, we're going to be able to glass and, and that's my favorite style of hunting. I mean, the, I've always wanted to hunt moose, but the last thing I want to do is just go put myself in a bunch of thick timber trying to call and trying to see a moose, you know, it sounds frustrating to me. And I know the bottom end of this float, we're going to float for 10 days. The bottom end of this float, kind of where we tie into the Yukon down there, gets thick like that. And there's moose down there, but we're really going to try to focus up high and up off the the mountain foothills of the Brooks Range and use these vantage points and float for, you know, we'll probably stay up top where we get dropped off for a couple days just using the vantage points and looking around trying to locate a moose or a great big caribou to go run after. And, and, and then we're going to float really tentatively we've got like 60 miles to float i believe so we're only going to float just a handful of miles and stop again and try to use our glass as much as we can to to try to find one of these big bulls but man am i jacked i just i can't wait to see one of those giants walking around swaying his head back and forth and get a chance to go run after him so we're going to try to stay up top as much as we can and and use calling a little bit and then uh, i think I think my buddies are going to have to lock my bow or carry my release or something because I just, I'm the type of guy where if I see it, I, you know, I believe I can go kill it and I want to go kill it. And, uh, you know, for a mule deer, I'm not afraid to go travel six, eight miles. I've been hunting with my buddies before and they've just been amazed at how far I'll go for a stock at a big buck. I'll just, I'll put everything into it and I believe I can kill that buck or bull or whatever it is. And, and that's a lot of the reason why I'm successful, you know, is that I always go for it. And I don't stalk recklessly, but 
I'm going to go over there and see if I can make something happen almost always, you know? And so they're going to have to lock up my release or my bow or something because, um, those moose are so big and you have to pack out all the bones on them. And so like the hind quarter, you got to pack out the bone. You can't debone them. I've actually got to pack the rib cage out where we're hunting and the front quarters and then the neck meat and all. I've got to pack all that out. And so it is so heavy to pack a moose. I mean, those hind quarters have to weigh 180 pounds with the bone in them. And so I just want to make sure that I don't get these guys in trouble and end up killing a bull moose five miles away from the river or something, you know, and end up killing us all. So God, they're going to have to hold on to my release or something or put some sort of restrictions on me because I'm going to be tough to stop, you know, up there in Alaska looking for these giant moose, but it's going to be a riot. They're really good friends that I've, that I've hunted with before. We have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs and, and, uh, uh, it'll be an adventure, um, no matter if we kill something or not. And, you know, I think we'll see it and get, see some moose and see some caribou and get some opportunities. And I, I mean, I'm going up there to kill one for sure. Um, but, but no matter what happens, it's going to be an adventure. We're going to be hundreds of miles from any town, rafting down the wilds of Alaska in this river and, 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 and being able to see critters and go after them. And the other good thing is my buddy moved up there, and so he's got a grizzly tag because he's a resident up there. And so um, we'll also have a grizzly tag in camp. And so, you know, if those guys see one of those, we'll be going after it for sure, which is just amazing. You know, around here, they they put you in jail for shooting a grizzly bear in, in up there to have a tag and be able to go shoe hunt is just wild so oh man i i'm just really looking forward to this trip but uh so i'm gonna keep getting my gear ready here and fly out tuesday but i'm gonna i'm gonna keep trying to make this podcast work again i just i just appreciate your guys' support and you know it's not like liking a picture on facebook or liking a picture on instagram i mean you guys are dedicating 45 minutes of your time to listen to me talk you know on here which which just means the world to me um um, so I, I want to continue to get better and, and uh, believe I'm going to turn this into a real podcast. I mean, I don't mind being on here by myself and giving tips and tactics and hopefully you guys learn from that. But, you know, I also want to get good hunters on here and people that we can learn from from and, and and so I can interact and have conversations with these guys and so we can pick their brain and kind of and get a bunch of information from a bunch of really good public land hunters and and that's what I want to focus on with this podcast too I mean um you know it's you know private land is still a challenge and hunting things on private land is a challenge but th- there's something with hunting public land which which pretty much all of us are doing that that we can all, all afford to do and and we've got you know, there's just so many more challenges and so much more that goes into it. And harvesting an animal on public lands to me is is the ultimate, you know, and and we have to work harder than than everybody else. And we have to gain more information. And then and then we've got hunting pressure, you know, that we've got to deal with just like I did in Wyoming, you know, and and uh, so I just want to I, I want to get you guys as much information as I can. And so, you know, there's a ton of public land guys and I, you know, I don't know a lot of big celebrities or anything. And I, I you know, I do think Eastman's is going to get involved on this podcast, which is just awesome. That's like a like a dream for me. You know, I I kind of pitched this idea to him and, and it never really took off. And I, I really wanted to start a podcast. And so I just started doing them. And and, and now, you know, we're in we're in talks about them, them partnering up and and they can just help with so much with with helping me get guests and helping with my professionalism and and uh definitely help out with the tech world for me oh my god did i fight getting that first one on the internet you wouldn't think it'd be that tough to get a podcast on the internet but uh you know i can work my way around a computer but 
um, man, oh man, you start getting into URLs and uh, start getting into, you know, uh, a post in different places and it got over my head pretty quick. But I did figure it out. I did get the first podcast done and, and uh, now on the second one and I I bought a new mic. I wasn't real happy with the audio last time and so I, I bought a new mic and I, I'm just going to keep trying to upgrade and, and keep trying to get better. And, and, and like I say, I don't know a lot of celebrity guests, but I, I do know a lot of really good hunters and in a, in a connection with a bunch of good hunters. And, and you guys out there listening, you know, too, you know, hit me up on Instagram if you want to be a guest and I'd, I'd love to have you on and pick your brain and, and talk back and forth and try to share information because, you know, I think the guys that can continue to learn and continue to evolve you know that shows true intelligence and that's what I've I've done my whole bow hunting career is I just continue to learn continue to evolve and there's guys out there that are better than I am and and uh, better at all facets you know that I can learn from and keep improving I just keep trying to work hard gather as much information as I can and and try to give it my all on these hunts and then try to share it with you guys whether it's through my writing or through this podcast so um this deal's only going to get better. Um, thanks, you guys, too, for, for giving me ideas for the podcast. Gush through Facebook. Uh, you guys gave me just a bunch of really good ideas for future podcasts and, and things to talk about. And so, you know, I really want to use that and, and episodes coming up. And, and, and like I say, they, they, there's just a lot of really good public land hunters out there. And I I want to get these guys on, and, and we're going to pick their brain and, and gain information. So, um, thanks again for, for tuning in to this second podcast and, and, uh, like I say, we'll just keep working and keep getting better and, and, uh, keep getting information out there. So guys keep hitting it hard and, and hunt hard this elk season. I hope you bring down a big bowl and I hope some of these tips and tactics help you out. And, and, uh, I'm going to continue to get these things out at least one a week, if not more. And so, um, I am going to record some of these in Alaska with my buddies, you know, in the field and, and out there on the hunt. And so you can kind of get a feeling and a mood for the hunt. So um, I just got to commit myself to it and, and make sure we do it and keep this thing rolling. So, all right, guys, thanks again. Uh, that's the end of, of uh, Elevated DIY Podcast. We'll catch you next time on here.